We've been talking about the aspect of following through, the aspect of finishing well. And as Christians, that can be a real challenge sometimes. There are a lot of things that we face, things that come into our life that really make things difficult. We all have different kinds of challenges. But I want to kind of talk about what may, have, what may happen in our lives at times. Talk about the, kind of the story in between to, to encourage us when we get to the end of this. But as a kid, I remember going to church, and I've shared this story a few times before, but as a kid, I'd go to church, and I would, I would sit there in the seat. My dad would, would take me to church, but I just didn't get it. I wasn't really passionate about it. I didn't really want to be there. I was kind of one of those kids that would, would fidget in the seat because I didn't get it. I didn't grasp it. I didn't have the desire to even really be there. <clears throat> and I remember I would just kind of time it out as much as I could to say, all right, you know, Dad, I got to go to the bathroom. But I didn't really need to. I just wanted to get up, get out of the seat, go around. I was bored didn't want to be in church. I grew up hearing lots of things about God and hearing a lot of stuff from my grandmother as she would kind of preach to me, so to speak, and teach us different stuff as kids. But there was just no spark. There was no passion. There was no real connection. It was just kind of knowledge to me. It was just stuff that I heard, but I didn't interact with, if you will, personally. There wasn't a, there's a difference between knowing about God having a lot of information about him, doing the right things like going to church and whatever, you know, you consider those things on the list, <clears throat> and, and actually having a relationship with God. Or some people say there's a difference between that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's really true because I remember that when I was a teenager that I ended up going uh, on this youth retreat in Clemens, North Carolina. And so I went with all these other youth, and I was still kind of the same. I'd heard all this kind of stuff. My grandmother would just beat things into me, and she'd have TBN, you know, on the TV all the time. And, you know, I just didn't quite grasp it. Grandma, why are you so really into this? You know, I didn't have anything wrong with Christianity. I wasn't opposed to it. But I just didn't have that passion that she had. And so I remember going to the youth retreat, and I remember listening to the speakers speak during that time. Of course, I enjoyed all the games and all the typical stuff that, that youth do. But at the very end, I remember, and this is why this verse is so important to me, someone preaching, and they shared the verse out of the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. And basically, what it said was, Jesus is speaking, he says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, follow me, they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. In other words, they have to you know, what are you doing across? You die. You die to yourself. You deny yourself. You basically, set aside your life and you follow me. You, my, your life becomes all about Jesus. And for some reason at that point, I really grasped it. It really clicked. And I remember just crying and going to the front and talking to the, the youth leaders at that time and saying, I want to do that. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give myself to him one Hundred percent, And everything at that time just radically changed. Because I left Clemens, North Carolina, came back home to, to Binghamton, New York, and I started doing stuff I'd never done before. I started reading the Bible, really studying it and paying attention to it. 
going to church and really hearing and listening because I had a passion for it. I had a hunger. I had a desire to know more about God. And that passion was overwhelming to the point that if you've ever been so excited about something, you don't really care what anybody else thinks. I had gotten to that point. I was, as some Christians call it at the time, on fire for Jesus. I kind of became a nut for Jesus, if you will, in some ways, according to my peers. Started wearing Christian t-shirts like, you know, that I never had worn before, reading my Bible in, in the um, study time periods, <coughs> study hall, that's the word, I haven't been in school in so long, and, you know, reading my Bible at that point, talking to people about Jesus, um, and, you know, doing, we did something crazy in New York because it was such a different environment, we did prayer around the flagpole, anybody ever done that in the South? Y'all ever been a part of that? In New York, it was like my friends at their school, the principal said, if you go around the flagpole, you're going to get kicked out. You can't do it. You know, and so that just made us want to do it all the more. But we're just passionate, just really excited and in love with Jesus. And that just comes to my mind as we wrap up this series because we're talking about follow-through, and some of you kind of know what I'm talking about. If you're Christians, if you know Jesus, there's been that moment at the very beginning in particular that you were just truly in love with Jesus, truly passionate, truly didn't care what anybody else had to think, and you were just, to put it another another way, just all in. Just all in. But sometimes when we we face struggles and we run into different things, we kind of, we get pulled away from that passion and and we find ourselves in a difficult place in following through. Wondering where that passion went. Wondering how do I continue to stay on the right road and how do I continue to do the right things. I began to think about that this week. And I was thinking about the story of David. David is probably one of my my favorite characters in the Bible. And in in the story of David begins really when you you hear about David is the story of, of him and Goliath. Dennis, don't worry about putting that on the screen yet. I'll tell you, I might just talk about the story. But, and that's what I want to do. David, <clears throat> if you know about him, he was a young guy. He was kind of the, the youngest of his family. He was the guy that was taking care of the sheep and whatnot. And, and basically, he has this opportunity to come and to see his brothers when they are a part of the Israelite army engaged with the Philistines. They would come to this place called the Valley of Allah. It was just this big valley, and, and it was set up for war. On one side, the Philistines were there, and they were ready. On one side, the Israelites were there, and they were ready. And typically, armies would come running into that valley, and they would just take each other out. And in this particular case, there was a guy that, if you know the story, that Goliath said, hey, let's, let's not waste all the rest of these men. Let's just pick out a couple of champions, and then we can, we can end it this way. There's no need for all this bloodshed. So it was a common way to kind of end battles at times. And so Goliath, though, of course, the guy who he's described in Scripture is just ridiculously huge, which is why he's called the giant, you know. Just this massive guy. They say he had, like, two other brothers that were just as big. And so this guy comes up towering, and he came out day after day challenging Israel. And nobody on Israel's side was ready to go and fight. But here you have this little guy, David, who, who's young and who comes up and he sees this happening. And he has this passion for God. 
and it really kind of irritates him, ticks him off to see this Philistine coming out, <coughs> challenging God's people, and then probably looking around him and wondering, why isn't anybody stepping up? Why doesn't anyone trust God? Why doesn't anyone have the passion to step forward? And David is just so full of passion that he is, even though he's a young dude, he is ready to go and take on this giant. And if you know the story, that's what he does. The king brings him in and tries to give him his armor. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I, I, you know, I, that's just not me. And he's a slingshot guy. Goes and picks up some stones, goes running into battle. And, you know, as the, the Philistine looks at him, he's like, you know, <laughs> what is this runt that you sent towards me? But he is just full of faith and trust, and God comes swinging at him and throws a stone. It says a stone sinks into his head. He falls over, and then David picks up the Philistine's own sword and chops the guy's head off, holds it up. Victor. David starts out with such amazing passion. And David's story takes off from there, and he ends up in uh, really close to King Saul at this time, ends up close to the king's son, and God just does all kinds of amazing things in David's life, and David rises up to become one of the most amazing kings that Israel <coughs> has ever had. So you look at David early on, you see the things he's done, you see how God's used him, and David continues to win battle after battle after battle. And this is such a passionate guy. And then you read in the book of Psalms, if you didn't know it, the majority of the Psalms are written by David. And David is a musician too. And he just sings to God. And he pours out his passion to God. And you can read that all the way through the book of Psalms. David's just, just strong. He's one of those guys that you consider as well that was on fire for God. Just passionate. But David bumped in to some issues. David bumped in to some problems. What we find out is that after a, a period of time, <clears throat> you see David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it says this in, in verse 1. I think I might have that one there, Dennis, if you want to throw that up. <laughs> 2 Samuel 11. If you can find it, that's fine. I'm just going to read it. It says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. It's a time that they would go out to battle. But then it says this, but David stayed at Jerusalem. He didn't go out. Ah, I'm just going to stay home. What's going on here? This isn't typical for a king to, to, to stay back. It's like he'd lost his passion. He's like, ah, I've done that before. I've been through it, been there, done that. And then it says right after this, considering that circumstance, it says, now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. And so David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then it says, David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when, he had pur when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. 
And then we find out in verse 5 the results of this. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I'm pregnant. David, a moment ago, we're, we're, we're seeing his, his passion and his love for God and his fierce devotion. And how can this Philistine say these things and Israel not be involved in charge, charge, charge? And God does all these things and lifts him up and he gets to this point where he just messes it up big time. He's not doing the things he was supposed to do. He's not being the king that he was supposed to be. He's kind of bored, fiddling his thumbs. The passion kind of seems to be waning, and he looks around, and he sees this woman, and he just takes her. He just does what he wants. She becomes pregnant, and, of course, David's issue is, how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to do with this situation? Here I am, <clears throat> king of Israel. I've done this. This guy's, you know... The Uriah the Hittite is going to find out what are we going to do. So David basically essentially ends up murdering Uriah the Hittite by putting him in the front lines of battle, telling all the rest of the people to back away so he gets killed in battle and to, to cover up his sin. And we find out about this guy, this prophet Nathan, that comes in. And Nathan is a prophet of God that basically is one of those guys you probably were pretty uncomfortable around. Because he, he had that passion. He was on fire for the Lord, and God told him to come and talk with David, and David... And he got in David's face, and he laid it out and said, David, this is what you did wrong. You did this, you did this, and this is what's going to happen as a result. You can only imagine what David had to have felt in that moment. When we run into times where we've kind of lost our passion and, we want, and we've kind of lost our way, we get distracted with the things of life, kind of like that video. David started looking for other things to do rather than his calling, rather than the passion that he had for God, and he began to shove those things in his place. I can, I'm not finding my joy in God, so I'm going to find my joy in other places. Nothing wrong with hobbies, but sometimes our hobbies and other activities get shoved into that place to try to make us happy and fulfilled. And David got to that point that <coughs> he was looking elsewhere. And he fell off. He lost his passion. And he got in some serious trouble because of it. And so Nathan comes and gets in his face and says, says all these things. And basically what happens to David, David comes to a moment his, of his, in his life where he faces what you would call brokenness. You ever been to the point where <clears throat> you've messed up so bad, you screwed things up, that you're just about as low as you can go? Things fall apart, they break into pieces, and you, you get to this point where at the bottom where you can finally do nothing but look up. So David's at that point, and, and at that point we find this amazing piece of Scripture that allows us to see what David was feeling and what he was saying at this time. And it's, called, it's from Psalm 51. Would you put Psalm 51 up there for me, Dennis? And, and this is David, and he's talking to God after all this has happened. He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions, another big fancy word for sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, another word for sin. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's like, Lord, it's all I can see. You ever been in that moment, you're like, I just want to be passionate again. just want to go back to where it was. And, and David, all he can see is this. 
All I can see is his mistakes. All I can see is his failures. And when you see, when you become at a point like that in your life, where you can't even see straight, you can't see forward, it's difficult to be on the road to following through, to finishing well. What do I do with this? What do I do with this garbage that continues to be in front of me? It's all I can see. And David says, against you, you only have I sinned. He gets it. He's broken, right? And done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. I realize it. You are right, and I've been wrong all this time. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, he says, you desire truth in the innermost being. Part of that brokenness to get back on, right tr- on the right track is to, is, to, is to see that. You desire truth in the innermost being, to be really honest before God, to realize this is what I'm dealing with. This is where I really am. We lie to ourselves a lot, don't we? I'm really okay. Things are just fine. We lie to other people so much we begin to believe those lies sometimes, and we, we just end up staying in that same place if we don't face up to the truth. You'll never finish well. You'll never carry on unless you deal with the truth. And he says, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part, that deep side, that deep part of the inside of you. You will make me know wisdom. Then he says, Lord, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was was a plant. It was a kind of a material from this plant that they would use actually in worship back then. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. And I love this part. It says, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Because David was as low as he could go. And he's basically saying, Lord, please, just put me back together. Hide your face from my sins and blot out (coughs) my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me a clean heart and give me a spirit, it says, that's steadfast. What's steadfast mean? It's this kind of spirit that says, I am pressing on. I am persevering. I am going forward. I am never giving up. Lord, you are and always will be the most important thing. And he says, do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me. We need that constantly. We cannot find joy in other things. If we think that we have, it only lasts for so long. There are fleeting things. And our true joy, our true life, only and always will come from Christ. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Help me to carry on. And then he says this, because when God does this for you, it's not always just for you because David, he was a leader of Israel. He had a responsibility. He had a calling. You all have a calling as believers in Christ. And, and these things have to be wiped away. The joy of Christ and his steadfast spirit has to strengthen you, not just for you, but so that you can finish what he has called you to do, to be a light for Christ. 
and to carry on those specific callings we were talking about the last couple of weeks that God has given you. It says, sustain me with a willing spirit. And he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Transgressor is basically, it's another word for sin, but it really has a picture of people that have kind of wandered off the track. They don't get it. <clears throat> the people that you see every day that don't know Jesus that, that are just lost. They don't understand what life is really all about. Or Christians that have just kind of wandered off the path like David, but they never got to the point of brokenness to look back up again. Lord, bring me to this place so you can use me, and I will, I will teach transgressors your way. And it says, and sinners will be converted to you. I want to be used by you, God. I want to be a leader again. I want that to be my joy and my passion. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. It says, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with with burnt offering. In other words, you, you just don't want me to go through the motions. God's not happy and thrilled when you're at that place and you're not recognizing your sin and getting things right with God and you just go through the motions. He doesn't like pretenders, so to speak. I don't want you to offer me fake worship. I want you to talk to me truly from your heart. The sacrifices, it says, of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. It's talking about how <coughs> worship took place in the Old Testament at that time. So David is, when, when we come to, comes to that point, finds his passion again by coming to the Lord. One of the things that we need to understand what this boils down to, if we're truly going to follow through, we're going to do the things God's called us to do, if we're going to find our joy in Him. One of the things that it all boils down to when you struggle, when you consider the life of David, is it all boils down to what we talked about at the beginning. Not a religion, but a relationship with Jesus. If you don't understand what it means to walk day by day and to have a personal relationship with Jesus, then you will fail every time. When we come together on Sunday mornings, we, we come together and we encourage one another, we get to spend time with one another. But when you go out through the rest of the week, you are completely and totally reliant upon that relationship that you have with Jesus. That's why time and prayer is so important. Spending time with him, time reading the Bible, it's hearing his words. How do, you, how do you build a relationship? You spend time with someone. That relationship is key to get us through all those moments of struggle. I want to end by reading a little bit from, from the, um, the book of John. <clears throat> John chapter 15 And it's this great passage where Jesus is really talking about the importance of relationship, the importance of having a very close relationship with him. And whether you're going to fail or whether you're going to be successful is all dependent upon your relationship with him. And he uses this example of a vine. Anybody like grapes? Anybody like what's made from grapes? Okay? It's okay. You can raise your hands. Okay? 
So it's a story of the vine and the branches. And Jesus says this, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, if you know anything about gardening, which I know very little, there comes a point that you have to prune things back so that they can grow again. This aspect of things in our life that need to be cut away, the stuff that's, that's blocking our view, so to speak, that stuff has to be dealt with. It says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then he says this, remain in me. As we read through the scripture, I want you to do something with me, a little bit of crowd interaction. You all ready for this? Okay. Say this word with me, remain. That stinks. Let's try it again. Remain. <laughs> all right. So as I'm reading through scripture up here, I get to the word remain. I want you to say, remain with me. Can you do that? Say, everybody say Yes. I said remain, okay. All right, so prunes, All right, so verse 4, let's try it. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you what? Unless you remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. It's a pretty... Fascinating thought. Remain in me as I remain in you is talking about a pretty close intimacy, if you will. And if we are a part of the vine, you really don't distinguish those two things. They're all growing together. They are what? They're, they're connected. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain <coughs> in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear fruit. This is how it works. You can't produce grapes if you're not connected to me. You cannot be successful if you're not connected to me. You can't understand what joy and your purpose in life and all this stuff is about if you don't remain connected to me. We have some boneheads that think that if they cut themselves away from the vine and they go and do their own thing, that they're going to produce fruit. They're going to do things their way. I don't really like that shade of purple. I want to be a different little shade of purple, a different kind of grape that does this. But wait a minute, you just cut yourself away from the source of life. It doesn't work that way. You have to remain in him. Verse 6 says, If you do not in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. It doesn't work. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But you have to what? Remain. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Does Jesus want you to be successful? Does he want you to bear fruit? Does he want you to understand what life is truly all about, to stay connected? He does. This is, he says, to my Father's glory, this is why you were made. As the Father, verse 9, has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will 
remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He says, my command is this, love each other as how? As I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Isn't that interesting? He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. We have this perspective sometimes of, of that God's way up there and we're way down here and he just speaks orders and commands. And that's not, that's religion. That's kind of what people think that Christianity is. And it's not. It's, it's this relationship. He said, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. We find out in Scripture as well that we are sons and daughters of God, that we are adopted into his family. He wants a relationship with us. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will what? Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command. Love each other. You notice a word that shows up in that passage of Scripture, over and over and over and over, and I'll give you a clue. I ask you to say it with me. What is it? Remain. Stay connected. Remain in the vine. Stay close to Jesus. Work on your relationship with Him can't cut ourselves away from the vine and expect that we're going to be okay. You're not going to finish well. You're not going to produce. You're not going to have that joy unless you remain. So what we need to do is to consider the times and the moments and the things in our life that we need to to get rid of or to add to in order that we remain. Joy is only found in Christ. A relationship then needs to be strong. Maybe you're at that moment <coughs> like David was right out of the gates, excited and pumped up and on fire for Jesus. Nothing was going to stand in his way. He's like he could run into hell with a water pistol. You know, it was just boom. Maybe you find yourself where David is that he's just messed up. You need to find brokenness to look up again. But in every situation, we need to remain. It's all about a relationship with Jesus to understand that joy and to finish well. You're not alone. He's always with you in every moment. And you look around you here at church, too. You're not alone here. We need the encouragement of everyone here. That's why the Bible says as well, don't forsake or set aside the assembling 
of yourselves together, even us introverts, okay? We need each other. We do, because it is hard. But we learn so much from each other. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. There's this aspect, how does that work? Iron rubs against the other iron, and it kind of sharpens itself, right? We bump into each other. We, we share things with each other, our struggles, our successes, all these kind of things, how we're remaining with the Lord. We grow. We get sharp. We learn from each other. That's why the small groups, why the Bible studies are important, why praying for each, for each other is important. And if you hang back, you kind of cut yourself away even from the rest of the branches, you're missing out. We need each other. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, help us to remain. Lord, I pray that that picture that you shared with us of the vine and the branches sticks in our head this week. Lord, don't let it leave. Remind us all week long to remain. And Lord, that means that that affects the choices we make, the things we do, how we spend our time. Lord, I pray just for the simple things that you help us to pray this week. That means we're just talking with you. We're spending time with you. Lord, help us to, to read your words this week. Lord, help us to connect with each other. Help us to follow the command that you clearly gave us to love one another. Help us to remain. Lord, help those of us who have made mistakes, who have been in that place like David, to confess our sin to you and just simply look up and ask for your help. Because your grace and your forgiveness is always there. The love you have for us is unending. We have a relationship with you that's unending. Thank you for that. Lord, help us to remain. Help us to never lose our focus and our perspective on you. We love you. Thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.